This is a podcast from ABC Radio Overnights. I'm Rod Quinn. We know the leading names, the best known names, when we think about cults. Jim Jones, Charles Manson, Shoko Asahara. They're just some of the well-known cult leaders in recent history. But what makes people turn to them and follow their beliefs and teachings? Many, many groups have been called cults, but because almost all cults insist that they are not cults, it's impossible to know how many there are now or how many there have been throughout history. This morning for our Talking Point, we're discussing the history of cults and why people join them. Here to answer your questions. Um, Dr Stephen Hassan is our guest, a mental health professional, expert in undue influence tactics used by authoritarian leaders, and Destructive Cults is also the founding director of the Freedom of Mind Resource Centre, which provides training, consulting and support to individuals who are struggling to leave or recover from a cult and to families and organisations that are concerned about cult behaviours. Dr Hassan, a very good morning. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Let's start with a working definition, shall we? What is a cult? Or how would you describe a cult? So I think about influence on a continuum from ethical to unethical influence. And so I think about cults existing along this continuum from healthy uh, cults where people know what they're getting involved with. They're free to question the leader, the doctrine, or the policy. They can read whatever they want. They can challenge, they can use their conscience and critical thinking, and they can leave without threats of harassment or fears versus the authoritarian destructive cults that use deceptive recruitment and controlling people's you know, behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions, which I refer to as my bite model of authoritarian control. And it's these groups that really we're worried about uh, not the healthy cults or the cults where there's free will. Uh, and the the other thing I want to say about my my, the work, my work with authoritarian cults as a mental health professional is with, they're they're actually, in my opinion, putting in a pseudo identity or a dissociative disorder in their members so that the cult identity is like a clone of the leader. Uh, or the ideology, so not the person's real self, not their mm. real conscience. So that could expand up into something as big as a country like, who knows, Russia, perhaps not, but North Korea certainly is all about the cult of personality, or to a political party. Some would say that some aspects of the Republican Party under President Trump, that was a, a cult. But then a lot of other people would see a cult as being you know, a religious experience are there many cults that are just there's no religious aspect or no pretense of a religious aspect oh absolutely so so i i i look at this phenomenon i've been doing 45 years now full time since my own deprogramming out of the moonies cult in 1976 uh and i can tell you there can be a one over one 
cultic relationship. In fact, the UK calls it coercive control and cites specifically a man controlling a woman to make her dependent and obedient and to control her. So there can be a one-on-one -on -one cult, and it could be a woman controlling a man, by the way, although the law in the UK does not indicate that yet. Uh, but then there can be political cults, psychotherapy cults. There are commercial cults that I write about, uh, multi-level marketing cults, as well as trafficking. Mm. Sex and labor trafficking are cults, the authoritarian cults. So they come in many shapes and sizes. And yes, I do believe a, a country can control people's behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions uh, so Russia qualifies, China qualifies, North Korea qualifies. And I hope I don't alienate any of your listeners, but I actually wrote a book called The Cult of Trump in 2019. So just explain on that then, because people now say the Republican Party is the, the party of Trump. In what way is Trump a, why is that a cult? So, very good question. So, when I was asked by uh, my my uh, my book agent to write this book uh, on the cult of Trump, I started with the knowledge that the stereotypical profile of a cult leader is what we call malignant narcissism. It's actually a term that was uh, invented by Eric Fromm. Um, and um, it's not just that these uh, cult leaders um, have a, uh, a narcissism thing, the grandiose self-centered behavior, the need for praise and admiration, sense of entitlement, fantasies of power, success, and attractiveness, but they have a lack of empathy. They, they can't put themselves in other people's shoes and feel for them and anticipate if they're going to feel bad. But the, the, the malignant part comes from thinking they're above the law, pathological lying, always exploitative, sadistic, harassing, violent, paranoid, harassing and silencing. So I started with Trump as a cult of personality running a business. So I knew that for sure. But what I learned when I was researching the book was that there are actual authoritarian cults that form the cult of Trump. And certainly uh, people who've always been Republicans um, and started out, um, you know, in terms of supporting Trump and believing that he would be a good president, but many people have defected and left from there. It's the people who are in, for example, uh, a, a series of cults that fall under the title New Apostolic Reformation groups that are particularly concerning for me. These are uh, Christian-esque cults where the leader claims to be a prophet of God or an apostle who gets direct revelations from God and casts out demons and does faith healings, but they practice the control of BITE, behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions, to make people dependent and obedient. And there's, I think, 30 to 40 million Americans who are part of these types of, of uh, organizations. 
Um, but in chapter seven of uh, the Cult of Trump book, I talk about Putin controlling Trump. I talk about uh, a cult called the family that Michael Pence was recruited into um, that has existed for decades, that has recruited Democrats as well as Republicans into. They do the national prayer breakfast. I talk about Opus Dei as an authoritarian Catholic cult that is in the cult of Trump. And then we can get into white supremacists and and uh, and other uh, authoritarian groups like the Mooney, Scientology, Falun Gong, uh, Jay-Z Knight that are in the cult of Trump. So others are saying, so, okay, so just on, on some of those that you mentioned, there's often a messianic figure that the leader alone is the person who can save you or provide what you are looking for. I mean, we heard that in, in so many words of what Trump was saying, that he was the only person who could solve the problem. And we hear right. that a lot from politicians, though. Why was he different? It, you, because you talk about the lack of empathy. I think whether you like some other politicians or not, you know, wh whichever side you're on, whether it be you know, Democrats with Obama or even George W. Bush, you'd have to say they do have a tremendous amount of empathy. Yeah, so the, the the part of my thesis in the Cult of Trump book was that what's happened now since Trump was elected and then voted out of office is the result of decades of very intentional manipulation of lobbyists, of setting up think tanks, of trying to manipulate the political machinery um, and uh, even Steve Bannon said before Trump even got the GOP nomination that we, we, we think we found our man. Mm. And part of the agenda uh, is to, to impose more of a theocracy in the United States, to abolish the separation of church and state. And there was actually a, a, uh, a meeting and doc documents signed by Catholic authoritarians and Protestant authoritarians called the Manhattan Declaration for the first time uh, that they would get together for political ends to um, uh, oppose uh, women's right to choose in terms of abortion, in terms of gay rights, and to uh, promote more religious freedom, meaning the freedom to discriminate against people who are not part of your religion, which undercuts the founders of the Constitution's original plan, which was to keep church and state separate and to create an environment where people would follow laws meant for all rather than saying we have God's truth and we're going to impose it on everybody else. Mm. So let's get away from uh, politics and Trump then because so often it is associated with religion. When does a, a cult become a religion, a, either a mainstream religion or recognized as a religion? One of our texters, he says, what about the Jehovah's Witnesses or Scientology? Are they still a cult? So my answer is um, the model of looking at specific behavior, information, thought, and emotional control variables and whether any particular organization still practices them as policy 
uh, is the way I answer the question. And in terms of the JWs, the Jehovah Witnesses, or Scientology, my answer is they absolutely fit the model of authoritarian cults. And again, I want to state that ethical religions, in my experience, and I'm a Jew, I belong to a temple, I am not an atheist, uh, I believe in the value of, of healthy religion uh, and religious experience and community. Um, but the critical variable is, is if there's accountability, checks and balances, uh, transparency, if the leader makes a mistake, they apologize and they correct the mistake, um, versus I know everything and you have to be obedient to me or else I'll ruin your life or I will cut you off from your livelihood or your, your family and such. Um, and my hope is by focusing uh, the attention on the issue of human rights, and saying, look, legitimate religions should tell you upfront who they are, what they believe, and what they want from you before they ask you to come to a meeting or ask for a commitment. And so to take the JWs for one second, if I may, uh, they knock on your door saying, would you like to study the Bible with us? But they don't disclose that their version of the Bible has been been uh, decried by religious scholars, Christian and Jewish ones, as not legitimate. Like they have their own version called the New World Translation that members are programmed to believe is superior to the King James Version or any other translation, but it's not. Um, so in order for a, 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 a legitimate religious group. It should be more than some government uh, entity. In the U.S., it's the IRS that grants uh, tax exemption if somebody says they're a religion. But I really believe that, that saying you're a religion should not exempt you from harming people. So if you are trafficking members or pressuring them to give money to tithe that they don't have, and telling them, but it's okay, put it on your credit card, God will reward you 10 times, and you wind up going bankrupt, that group is not acting, as, in my opinion, as a legitimate religion and should be severely uh, questioned and possibly their, their governmental exemption should be removed. Well, that's something else that someone else has uh, texted in about, is how do cults such as Scientology get their religious status for taxation purposes. So I actually have uh, two video interviews with the former Scientology official who had been commanded by Hubbard to make Scientology a religion. Uh, they were not for over 25 years. And so he explained how they got a group of lawyers together and all the machinations. There are experts who have left the Church of Scientology, like Mike Rinder, who talked about how they uh, threatened IRS commissioners and how they sued uh, the IRS and how they harassed people and how they uh, answered fraudulently on their applications. So, and, and why Scientology hasn't lost its tax exemption after all of these exposés and whistleblowing 
is a source of great frustration for those of us who mm -hmm. are worried about good people who are still being enslaved in Scientology. Let's talk to Gary. Gary is with us. Good morning, Gary. G'day. How you going, mate? Very well. What would you like to That's ask? Right. Um, I'm just wondering, um, well, not so much these days, but back in like the 15th and 16th century, uh, with the Catholic Church, if you went against the Catholic Church, especially over in Europe, you were, yeah, you weren't in a good way. Mm. Um, I'm just wondering if if that was what you, you would classify that as a uh, back then as a, as a cult. Thank you very much for that, Gary. Stephen. So the Catholic Church has within it groups that fit the bite model of authoritarian control. For example, Opus Dei or Legionaries of Christ, to name two. Things And when people ask me, did Jesus create a cult, you know, 2,000 years ago, my answer is, I don't know. My sense is, is that he was a good Jewish boy who was preaching what he had learned. And it was uh, Paul, uh, 70 years later, that uh, said, no, 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 he, you know, he was God and he was, you know, whatever. I don't want to get into theology, sure. but I don't know. Uh, for me, the issue is what is a group doing now, and is it is it being honest? Is it being responsible? Is it being transparent? And frankly, the Catholic Church has had some really horrible history with protecting priest pedophiles and collaborating with the Nazis uh, and other bad things. Uh, but I'm for reform. I'm for you know, uh, love and truth and goodness and human rights and trying to build a planet where we can all take care of each other rather than this polarizing uh, fear and anger-based mm. manipulation that's being done by bad actors to try to make people so frustrated and feel helpless and hopeless that they're even more susceptible to an authoritarian showing up and giving certainty, yeah. like, trust me, I know exactly what to do. Exactly. I mean, just, well, in the church, the Catholic Church, of course, if you disagree with the Pope, we well, just go about your life. You don't get excommunicated, you don't get shunned. You know, exactly. when the plate goes round at Mass on Sunday, if you don't put money in it, no one's standing over you forcing you to do it. You know, Great. quite often that is the difference between a church and a cult, is that you do have some sort of free will within that church, um, exactly, and your conscience and your ability to read other literature or talk to former members or critics and decide for yourself yeah. if there's any real reality or substance to their concerns. What are some of the benign cults then? What are the ones that we don't hear about that aren't authoritarian necessarily, or, or perhaps they do, may have a charismatic authoritarian leader, but people are uh, welcome to challenge their views or to leave any time they like and are not forced to hand over money or, or believe a certain doctrine. What, what are some of the cults there that we might know about? Well, I mean, there is Rocky Horror Picture Show <laughs> okay, cults right. where people like to dress up. There are, you know, uh, I was actually interviewed for a book called The Cult of Mac. And uh -huh. the author of it interviewed me uh, many, many years ago. And he said, my editor said, I need to talk to you because I'm writing a book. I said, what about computers? I said, that's weird. 
what's the title? He said, The Cult of Mac. I said, I'll, I laughed. I said, I'm happy to give you an interview, but I've only been using Apple since 1982, and I currently have two iMacs, three iPhones, two hmm. iPads. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm in a book called The Cult of Mac. I'm also an avid scuba diver, and so with scuba divers, you meet somebody, you know, a total stranger, and you find out they're a diver, you instantly can start sharing stories and experiences and, and share, you know, resources. Then there are people who are into sports, you know, being sports fans or, or po po political parties. I mean, you can be in something, but the critical thing is that if you're an adult, the locus of control for your mind should be in you and not in some external authority figure okay. or entity or person. You know, Charles Manson's often described as a cult leader. His cult was pretty small, wasn't it? I mean, there might have been yep. 30 or 40 at the most. And, you know, at the time when, you know, the, the murders took place, uh, it was a pretty small following, maybe 25 or so. But he managed to get them to kill for him. How does somebody do that? So the process of recruiting and indoctrinating people is uh, what I've described in my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, for example, that first came out in 1988. Um, and in his case, he had learned Scientology, he was using some of the hypnotic techniques that he learned from Scientology, but he was also someone who grew up in jails. And so we learned a lot about about people and manipulation. Uh, he was a there. big fan of Dale Carnegie as well. Uh, yep, and and it's interesting. You can look at Jim Jones, and when you find out that he read 1984 and kind of used it as a kind of uh, reference textbook, uh, it's like, oh, he didn't just invent it out of thin air. He was actually using principles that uh, that uh, George Orwell, his real name was Eric Blair, wrote about communism, actually. Um, but he uh, Manson also used drugs and sex to manipulate and control. But the bottom line is he had this uh, had his people believing he was Jesus Christ and that he was going to foster Armageddon, and so the deaths would help to, to they would blame it on black people to create a race war, was his ideology, uh, what it was called helter-skelter. Um, but the, the, the process of how do you get somebody to do something completely against their own values and beliefs is what I was describing earlier about control their behavior, control their sleep, what they eat, how they dress, who they talk to, control their information, control their thinking, give them a black and white, all or nothing, good versus evil, simplistic ideology, make, you know, make them confess everything they've done in their life and then use that information against them. Put phobias in people's minds that if they're not obedient, terrible things are going to happen to them. So there's a formula of how to break people down and build them up in the image of the cult and get people to be yeah. compliant, obedient slaves. So with Jim Jones, that was totally different. He got people, to, you know, this mass suicide of 900 people out in the jungles of Guyana. 
But there are other former members of that group and former Manson family members, former members of the Orange people, there'd have to be you know thousands of them, that after the cult sort of dissipates or ends or the leader dies or goes to jail, those people just go back into the community. How do they go back to their lives or to a life which is not part of that cult? With great uh, difficulty is my experience. Um, Physically walking out of a cult doesn't take the cult programming out of your neurons, out of your brains. And uh, people can be born in authoritarian families or religious experiences, run away from that. But unless they understand mind control and the differences between healthy influence and unhealthy influence, they are susceptible to getting drawn back into that cult or getting recruited into a different cult. And I want to tell you a very quick story of a man I worked with who had been in Heaven's Gate for 15 years and had left the cult five years before the mass uh, murder-suicides of those members, thinking they were beaming up to a spaceship in the comet, uh, Hale-Bopp comet. Mm. And this man, uh, Dick Jocelyn, when he saw the images of his friends dead, uh, wanted to kill himself, felt like he had missed his chance to evolve to the next level. Um, even though he had left the group and he was wanting to commit suicide and, and someone who interviewed him asked me if I would talk with him because they were so worried that he would try to end his life. And, and Dick fortunately agreed to talk with me. And he you know, had gone on TV saying they weren't a cult, they weren't brainwashed, they knew exactly what they were doing, and who are we to say that they aren't in heaven right now? Yeah. Anyway, he came to Boston, and we, we worked together, and he understood that was an absolutely mind-control cult. And I asked him, I said, Dick, you know, you left five years ago, like, what have you been doing in your life? And he said, nothing. Like I didn't, I couldn't function. I couldn't have a relationship. I couldn't find a job that fulfilled me. And he was kind of like on hold. And then I asked him a really interesting question. I said, what was it after 15 years that you left? You were the number three person in the cult. And he said to me, and so fascinating, he said, when I first got in, I made a promise to myself that if they ever started talking about killing themselves, I would leave. And 15 years later, they started talking about killing themselves, and he left. But he didn't have the tools, and his family didn't get him the help that he needed to process you know, what had been done to their mind. And this is a former you know, a veteran, a yes. naval officer. Yeah. Uh, but surely that's handsome. part of it as well. You're told to follow orders. You wear the uniform. You have a belief in that's what you're doing. That's a good doing. point. Yeah, that is true. That is a good point about Dick. But the the the, the, the thing is, is that pe- people need to stop blaming victims of mind control cults and saying they're stupid or there's something wrong with them and realize people are getting involved because they see value or they they're lied to they're looking for something in their life they're looking for something to believe in they're looking for the answers 
But and who someone... isn't wanting to improve their life or make the world sure. better? Sure, yeah, place. that's what I'm saying. That people right. maybe they've searched in traditional religion, did not find it in there, and then they go and find it with somebody else. George is with us, of course. George, good morning. Oh, good morning, Rod, and uh, great pleasure to talk to you, Steve. I've followed your work for many decades, actually, from I think from the days of the Cult Awareness Network, and you know, and uh, I admire your doggedness and persistence. Uh, and uh, and uh, I was interested that you're a scuba diver because I think the most mysterious of all cults is uh, free divers, but that's another story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask you. Um, I've always been been fascinated in recent years uh, about the. You, you did touch upon the family that Mike Pence was involved with. Unfortunately, it's the same name as uh, the the cult that uh, Manson actually started, which is yeah. And the Moonies are called the family also. There's there a few of them. Cults. In fact, there's another one in Australia yeah. too. Yeah, yep. yeah, but Come I just on. wanted to ask you because uh, I think a lot of people were very surprised, and maybe even you, about you know how some uh, a cult like that that uh, was a very sort of closed Christian cult uh, could get so close to uh, the uh, corridors of power and uh, through obviously donations and other things. But uh, there was a, a similar one here called the Exclusive Brethren in Australia, which you might mm-hmm. be familiar with, which is very similar Christian based cult, very conservative, closed. Uh, you know, nobody uh, could uh, could marry out basically. And they kept to themselves and had their own companies and so forth. Though again, they got very yep. close to our uh, conservative prime minister here, John Howard, and uh, again actually had influence in policy decision making. Uh, it seemed mm-hmm. so. I was just wondering if, in some ways, these kind of cults, you know, that you don't hear about, that kind of keep below the the radar deliberately, are kind of in some ways more dangerous than the high profile ones that everybody has heard of that plaster themselves and try to get a very high profile. Okay, thanks very much for that, George. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of uh, these cults around. Some of them much more, some much larger and more influential than others, Steve. Yeah, and my former cult is still very active. They still own the Washington Times. Uh, Trump was actually uh, speaking for the Moonies and Pompeo and Pence and Gingrich. Uh, you know, they pay well, the Moonies, to get, you know, famous people to, uh, to, uh, to, to say how great they are. Um, and, and I mean, the, the bottom line is, is that, um, you know, we're a species that adapts and evolves, and we're now living in a digital age where information is being gathered about us without our permission in many cases and used with algorithms to uh, steer us to buy certain products or to uh, go to certain meetings. And everyone needs to have a much more consumer awareness mentality when it comes to any information that they're hearing. Like, what is the source of this? And um, an understanding that... Um, it only seems to be getting more sophisticated in terms of the levels of manipulation and mind control that are being um, used around the world. And I'm I'm all for being in the real world and not a metaverse. Mm. <clears throat> like I think we need to be concerned about global climate crisis in the real world and not spend hours and hours and hours in a virtual reality while not taking care of our neighbors who may need food or they may need help getting to the hospital 
or to take care of our environment. I think we need to come together as a species to realize that we want this world to continue for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Stephen Hassan is our guest, Dr. Stephen Hassan. As we talk about cults, very prominent in the 80s were the Orange People, and they drew people to them who were ordinary, everyday Australians and around the world, of course, the the US as well, again through a charismatic leader. But there was money involved, there's sex involved. Is there always sex and money involved with these cults that go off the rail? And what happened? What, why did the... Why did? Because quite often, I'm sorry, you know, like it involves, it falls apart when allegations are made of a sexual nature against the leader. Well, uh, it doesn't always fall apart in terms of my work, but I would say the universals are that uh, cult leaders have this malignant narcissist personality, which basically says they have a very weak self, self, um, self-identity and they're compensating for that lack of love and that lack of self-confidence by con- over-controlling everybody else. So, you know, there's there's that piece of it. But the universals, to answer your question, are they want power, they want money, and they want sex. In, in that order, not every cult leader wants sex with their followers, but it's amazing how many do take advantage of their followers sexually. And not every cult wants money out of people, but they all want power and control over others. And that can be control over information and media uh, and such. But, um, you know, if if everybody who's listening goes to freedomofmind.com, looks at learn about undue influence, clicks on malignant narcissism, and reads them. If you read these characteristics uh, and memorize the characteristics to watch out for with predators and cult leaders, it's going to protect you from 80% of what's bad out there. So it's also said that about 70% of cult members are women. Is that right? And are women more susceptible to these cults than men? That's a great question, and I don't know that we have statistics, but I can tell you that I was part of a two-day global conference on multi-level marketing cults that I presented for, and there was research presented that 75% of people who are in multi-level marketing cults are women. And I was I was surprised. I did not realize the number was that high. So what are you talking about with that? You're talking about uh, basically it's selling, isn't it? The Amways, yeah. the Herbalifes, the Lulu Rose, the Lulu Riches, etc. Um, there, you know, you can make extra money at home in your spare time, and a lot of women are are caregivers of their children, and maybe didn't, you know, get uh, as much education as their husbands, etc. So there's a real emphasis to recruit uh, women. And I might add that the largest uh, preponderance of multi-level marketing cults is in the state of Utah, uh, which is the home of the Mormons and the LDS uh, church. So that's really interesting, too. And the fact that 
so much information has been exposed about multi-level marketing cults in the U.S., but but recruitment for MLMs is happening globally in other countries. And people think, oh, I can make a lot of money doing this American corporation and selling their stuff for them. So we've got, And they get sucked into a, a, a yeah. labor trafficking situation. So we've got a lot of people texting in, asking about various religions mostly about whether they are cults or not. So just you might want to give us a yes or no, perhaps. Uh, the Nazis were a cult, were they not? Were they Absolutely. Were a, the, the, the classic example of a cult. Yeah, they were a political cult, but they were the Hitler was very into occultism. Yes. So there was a religious piece to that. If I can if I can just go back to a previous caller yes. for a second and say there's a wonderful series on Netflix called The Family okay. about the cult that Mike Pence is in. It's there are five episodes and it go it talks about Democrats being in the family as well as Republicans, as well as atheists okay. and Muslims. So it's a and it's Still around, this group. Okay, Hari Krishnas? Yep. Uh, this is a group I've helped many people out of, and uh, famously George Harrison was recruited into supporting the Krishnas and giving them money. Prabhupada died and didn't designate an heir, so there were different swamis who each started their own splinter cults. But any group that says uh, uh, reality is an illusion and thoughts uh, or speculation is evil, run. Okay. <laughs> or if, if they say women's brains are smaller than men's brains, so it's clear that, you know, it's okay to beat them like a drum or a dog, they run in the okay. other direction. Alcoholics Anonymous. Good question. I have a lot of problems with 12-step programs, not just AA, and I will reference an excellent book called The Sober Truth by psychiatrist Lance Dodas, D-O-D-E-S, uh, about what's wrong with AA and 12-step programs. Um, and I have a problem with any group that tells people you're frozen and as an identity as an alcoholic or as an addict forever. Because I believe in neuroplasticity and neurogenesis and that people can change and that people can learn skills and tools. And um, so I have a problem with that piece about being powerless or needing to feel like you have to turn yourself over to a higher power. I personally believe in God, but I don't I don't think you have to believe in God to to have control over what substances you drink or eat or put okay. in your body. Right. What about the Amish? The Amish are, uh, again, the control of behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions. So they are on the continuum. And it's very different, though, for me in analyzing a group if you're just born into it versus groups that are actively out there proselytizing and recruiting uh, aggressively. So this also pertains to Jewish extremist Jewish groups that are very closed and people are born into it and think the outside world is evil. Um, I have a problem with all of that. And what what my position is, is that uh, if you're an adult, you should have freedom to choose. 
And in order to choose, you need to understand some basics about psychology and the influence continuum and the bite model. Okay. And that includes talking to critics and former members, because if you've been raised in a very closed authoritarian religious group uh, and you haven't sat down with former members who are happy and fulfilled, you should. And at the very least, you will know that you're free to leave like this other person did versus walking around with an irrational fear yeah. in your head that you're going to get cancer if you leave or you'll be hit by a car or possessed oh, by demons. Um, has Stephen heard of the Supreme Master Ching Hai cult? It's a vegetarian movement based in Taiwan with a rare religion led by a woman, namely the Supreme Master Ching Hai. Yes, I have heard of that and I believe I've actually helped somebody who exited who is a long-term member of that. I want to share with your listeners, you know, Google is a great tool, but you have to understand wealthy cults uh, manipulate search engines. Sure. So you need to search for the name of the group plus keywords like cult, brainwashing, scam, ex-members, and don't just stop with the first 10 hits on Google go at least 10 pages in because uh, that's how, uh, and multi-level marketing cults are the worst with this where you can't find anything critical about the, the group until you do that deeper dive or come to my site and go to the links like pyramidschemealert.org. What about specializes something like psychiatry? That's, you know, there's Scientologists are very, uh, very critical of it. Is psychiatry a cult? Uh, psychiatry cult. It's very interesting because I've been involved with a forensic think tank at Harvard Medical School for the last six, seven years that is uh, founded by psychiatrists. And I've been writing chapters and books with psychiatry. And what I can say is that there are psychiatrists who are psychoanalysts trained and they think that it's okay to, to have a patient for 20 years and see them once or twice or five times a week. And I have a problem with that uh, completely. I think you should get second opinions and switch therapists after a few years based on are you getting better and are you functional? Um, but that said, there are many good psychiatrists and there are some medications that are absolutely helpful and vital to help people be functioning. And so I want to caution your listeners from any lumping of everything together and be more um, uh, open to the idea that things are on a continuum. And there are some situations and groups that have some elements that are concerning, but other elements that are open that show that it's not an authoritarian cult. Okay. And a couple of people have texted in about a homegrown cult, Hillsong Church, if that Yes, I've written about that one as a cult, actually. Why is that a cult? Blogs. We've got about a minute left. Why is that a cult? Well, it's, again, I come back to the controlling people's behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions to make a dependent identity that's, that's obedient to the group versus obedient to their conscience and their critical thinking and their values. Oh, I would love to talk to you so much more about how you deprogram, how do you get what people have been conditioned to think 
for so long uh, out of their mind? Does it take as long as it takes to condition them? So the answer is um, I have a podcast now called The Influence Continuum. I have a three and a half hour course on understanding cults that people can take. I wrote a book called Freedom of Mind. Uh, helping um, loved ones okay. leave controlling people, cults and beliefs. The bottom line is trying to persuade someone with facts or argue someone out of a cult is counterproductive. But having rapport and trust and respect and asking good questions and then doing follow-up is what works to help okay. people reevaluate. This has been fascinating, and I hope we get the chance to talk again. Dr. Stephen Hassan, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Dr. Stephen Hassan, our guest on Cults this morning. We'll definitely talk about that again. Overnights with Rod Quinn on ABC Radio. Radio.